4: This is the Court Today replay on C103. A very good morning to you. Uh, uh, hoping we find you all in good form on this Thursday morning, John Paul. Taking your calls, already coming into us at 1850 333103. Texting and WhatsApp is also available at 086 to 103, 103 if there's anything you want to share with us throughout the morning already. Ed in Mallow has been on to the programme and this is to do with election posters and we now have a little over a week to go to the general election to the general election? <laughs> that for some people could be wishful thinking. To the local elections, the European elections and the referendum and of course the plebiscite in Cork City all happening tomorrow week. Now we do know there's been a poster ban in place in a lot of Of the towns and uh, villages across Cork County and I'm assuming it's around the country as well. I think the big problem with having any election in the month of May the month of May is when the tidy towns judges are out and about doing their judging. So tidy towns groups normally get together and they have this it's like it's a voluntary code of practice where they ask the candidates please don't put posters up within the 50 kilometre zone of the town of the village and then all the approach roads you can do what you like with within reason and keeping it legal please but just in the towns and villages don't put up the posters because it can work in getting points taken off Four tidy towns, and it would be shameful if a town or a village lost out in one of the big prizes. Because posters, they lost out on marks with posters or cable ties had been left behind. I mean, that's one of the big bugbears of the Tidy Towns judges when they see the cable ties that are either still left on the poles or when they're cut off, they're left on the ground. And, you know, when we will be encouraging people the week after next when they're taking down the posters to make sure that all the cable ties are taken down and that they are disposed of properly. I'm assuming they can be recycled. Can they? The plastic cable ties. Someone was saying you could get um, one's biodegradable ones but I don't know how good they are and if they'll stand the test of time when they're up on the poles. Anyway, let me go back to Ed in Mallow's call because Ed was on to say there is a poster ban within the 50 kilometer zone in Mallowtown and he feels that it's slowly been broken as we're getting closer to the election date. The area in particular that he has a problem with is from Collegewood area of Mallow. That's within the 50 kilometer zone. He says posters are starting to creep into that area. Now he says he's not going to name any ca- candidates because it's from various candidates and he would like to know, have others noticed it and what do the people of Mallow think? And he doesn't like the fact that people are breaching what is a voluntary code. It isn't It isn't a law, uh, even though all of the candidates normally do abide by it. And if a poster goes up in an area where it shouldn't go up, it's normally taken down fairly quickly. I know certainly any time we've identified a poster that's upset somebody. Remember recently the was one, was it at the graveyard going into Mill Street? Somebody had put up some posters and we mentioned it and the person got back to us and said certainly within hours of us mentioning it, the poster was taken down. So candidates don't want to upset the voters. So if there are particular posters that are in an area, maybe it wasn't the candidate, it was somebody on behalf of the candidate. So what I would normally say to somebody, and I don't have the names of the candidates here, if Ed wants to contact any of the candidates or if any of the candidates are their team call to your door point out the poster that you're not happy with particularly because it's within the 50 kilometre zone and and I guarantee you they'll remove it because they are they don't want to upset the voters because the voters need to go out and the voters need to remember those people when they go to the ballot boxes tomorrow week now coming up on the program we will talk about the uh, elections we are continuing with our countdown to the local elections and we're doing it electoral area by electoral area and today we are we've been, we've already done parts of East Cork we did parts of North Cork yesterday and today we are turning the spotlight on one of the electoral areas in West Cork and this morning we're going to preview the Bandon-Kinsale electoral area and of course a lot of the electoral areas have changed in that they've changed some of the areas have moved into a different electoral area which means sitting councillors have to make decisions do they stay where they were or do they move where they feel their vote is now for obvious reasons they're going to move where they feel their vote is but that does mean that when people go in to vote They're going to be missing names. They're going to be looking for, you know, traditionally they may have voted for one particular uh, candidate and suddenly their name isn't on the ballot paper and they're thinking, well, where's that name gone? And it could be that that person has moved into another electoral area close by, but they've decided to follow their vote. So there will be an amount, I think there's going to be an amount of confusion next week because no matter how much we talk about it on air, no matter how much there's printed in, in the papers about the changes to the electoral areas, there will still be people that, who won't even have heard about it, won't even know that somebody's moved out of an area and will just think they're, whoever it is they want to vote for has suddenly decided not to run. Again, now, of course, there are also some candidates for their own personal reasons who've decided to retire and decided not to put their name forward. So anyway, under the spotlight today, it will be the Bandon-Kinsale electoral, uh, electoral area and we'll talk through the changes in that area uh, as well. Now, fingers crossed... And the power of prayer is going to be needed on this one. We are hoping to speak with Mother Irene Gibson. Who's Mother Irene Gibson? I mentioned Mother Irene Gibson yesterday because she is the Carmelite nun who was taken to court by court county council over alleged planning laws. Uh, and I think Mother... Irene will accept that she has breached planning laws in that she didn't go for planning permission for the wooden structures that she put up on this site outside of Lepp. And she was before the courts basically been told, I think she hasn't until Christmas, to get rid of the buildings that are on this site. It's a hermitage that she has set up. She is a silent order of nuns. There's only herself and one other, and the one other got professed only on Monday, so they had from what was a joyous day on Monday to being before the courts on Tuesday. And I went I saw photographs of them heading into the courthouse and I was thinking, you know, for an order of nuns who lead such a contemplative life in prayer and in silence, except for one hour a day where they are allowed to speak but they spend the rest of the time in silence and and in prayer it did strike me it must have been a fairly daunting thing to have to do I mean just to most of us have never been inside a courthouse and if you have you'll always remember that first time you're inside the courthouse it's a bit of a scary scary uh, scenario you don't really know what's going on and I know they had their solicitor and their solicitor did all of the talking for them and it seems both of the both of the nuns they, they turned up in court and they spent most of their time in prayer they could be seen you know whispering away uh, their prayers because it was obviously part of the day when they were due to pray but it did strike me that it must have been a fairly daunting and, and a frightening as well I imagine for them anyway we mentioned it yesterday because we spoke, we spoke with uh, Noel Baker the Irish Examiner journalist who had covered the case in the paper yesterday, and we got a we got quite a reaction uh, to it. In the main, people feeling very sorry for these nuns and thinking, you know, God, are they upsetting anyone by having these? little buildings. It isn't a huge, massive compound outside of Lep. And that's not taken away from people who did complain. I mean, I don't live near this compound, so I I don't know. I mean, what I saw on TV with Virgin Media News last night with Paul Byrne, and I also went and did some research. There's a number of videos up on YouTube. Most of the videos are photographs. You know, you get a, a video stream of photographs. It, it. it they they don't look that unsightly but as I say I don't live I don't know how close other houses are and are there other houses you know looking into this property can can you see and you know why I don't know why people were upset and you don't you know people have a right if somebody is breaking the law and it does look like Mother Irene and Sister Anne-Marie well Mother Irene I think it was she put up the wooden structures has broken the law because you can't just even if you're a nun even if you're a contemplative Carmelite nun who lives most of her day in silence and in prayer? You're still not above the law, uh, so I suppose she did. She did break. She did break the planning rules. But she sort of kind of think could she th- Is there not retrospective planning, or is that gone? There was a time when you could get retrospective uh, planning. Is there any way around it? Because it looks like Mother Irene doesn't want to have to leave what she sees as her home, but if she's forced to move, she will move, and she's trying to sell the properties, trying to sell the buildings. John Paul actually found them on I think it's one, you know, those Dundee, one of those websites where she's selling off the wooden structures and there's actually a picture of one of the wooden little chalets. Do you know, actually one of them looks like a garden shed I'll be honest, I think she's calling them chalets but some of them just look like gardens, you know, the wooden garden sheds that, that you have and There's a picture of one of them up in Dundee with either herself or Sister Anne-Marie. It's a nun anyway. You can't see her face sitting outside this little wooden structure. So she's trying to sell them on and then use the money, I suppose, to try to move somewhere else. As far as I know, she owns the land. So she'll have to sell the land if she's going to move on. Anyway, we're hoping, fingers crossed, to speak with Mother Irene on the programme today if she's out of prayer and we manage to catch her in that Hour. We did speak with her yesterday and she she was hoping to schedule her day in such a way that when we call, we will be able to talk with her uh, today. So I'm looking forward to talking with Mother Irene. But as I say, she did appear to have a lot of support yesterday. And I know planning can be an upsetting topic for a number of people And John Paul was making the point to me, there are probably some people who will say it's only right and proper that she was taken to court. And that would be coming from somebody who perhaps applied for planning and for whatever reason got turned down planning. And then they'd look at this group of nuns and saying, well, how come they're allowed to put up structures and I didn't get my planning? And you might have people bitter because of that. But if that be the case, we certainly didn't hear any of that uh, yesterday yesterday. the calls and the texts and the comments we got in were people very supportive and just feeling sorry for these two little nuns. We will speak with Louise O'Keefe on the programme this morning. We've invited Louise uh, to join us because we heard this week that people who were abused at school have not, this is during primary school in the main, have not received the promised compensation and of course they got the promised compensation because of Louise O'Keefe and because of what Louise O'Keefe did and her battle to fight for her case, a very, very brave lady. So we'll chat with Louise on the uh, programme. We will be going live to Tel Aviv in Israel because tonight is night number two, second semi-final for the Eurovision Song Contest. And tonight is the night when young Sarah McTiernan takes to the stage for Ireland. I think she's second out, which I'm told isn't the best place to be in order to try to gain a qualification, the top 10 songs will go through. She's certainly in the tougher of the two semi semi-finals. There were 17 songs the other night, 10 went through. Tonight has 18 songs, of which 10 go through. We will keep our fingers crossed for young Sarah. And no doubt she'll go out there and she'll sing her little heart out and she will do us pr- pride, proud. But we will go to Tel Aviv just to sample the atmosphere from the Eurovision. And it is Thursday. So in the final hour of the programme, uh, Jane Pickett, our resident vet, joins us if you have any question with regard to any of the animals in your house or in your care that you'd like some advice on. Get the questions in throughout the morning. 1850 333 Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103, And a heartfelt thanks to a gentleman who simply signs the note I have in my hand as John and he sent on a a contribution to the young mother from uh, Belarus that I've been talking about since I came back from my trip that we are hoping to help out uh, who's living in such awful, awful uh, poverty and uh, John has taken time in to uh, send a very generous donation. Thank you. John and just to let you know that arrived at Safe and Sound We are right smack bang in the middle of First Holy Communion season I take it at this stage all of the confirmations uh, are over but certainly most weekends there are First Holy Communion celebrations going on in some part of the city or county or in some part of the country actually on Saturday I'll be heading to Clonmel for a family First Holy Communion. And I love, there's, there's an innocence, I think, around the First Holy Communion Mass. It's I think it's one of those really special masses. I don't know what it is. I absolutely love the First Holy Communion Mass. Anyway, there is a debate now going on as we come to the end of communion and confirmation season for this year. There's a debate going on that should Catholic schools be the ones that are responsible for preparing children for the sacraments are should we be looking at saying if you want your son and daughter to make their first Holy Communion and are the confirmation should the preparation for that be happening outside of the school day and the Archdiocese of Dublin have decided to do something about it because they've decided to do a little bit of an investigation to find out how do people feel, all of the players that are involved? So they have undertaken quite a big survey. They interviewed 1,800 people. Now, they were made up of school principals. They spoke to teachers. They spoke to parents. And they spoke to parishioners. And then, obviously, they involved the clergy and the parish workers uh, as well. And they went all over the Archdiocese of Dublin, which obviously covers more than Dublin. It goes down into Wicklow and Kildare, Carlow Leash and uh, Wexford. But they, you know, they put the questions to them. How do people feel? About it, and is there a need now to remove the preparation, a lot of the preparation for the sacraments, remove it from the schools and do it outside of school? And the responses. What they're now going to do is they're going to discuss all the responses uh, in the parishes uh, over the coming weeks. So there will be a united decision uh, made. But potential changes, this is what's been, what will be some of the things that will be uh, discussed because it seems the result of the survey was there was a strong demand for parents and local parishes to play a much greater role. Take it away from school, give it to the parents and get the parish involved as well. So some of the changes that will be discussed and possibly could happen. They're not saying they're going to happen but it's possible that it could happen. would be There would be an opt-in approach in, to confirmation and to communions in school with the bulk of the preparations taking place outside of school hours. Now this is the type of the approach that's common in multi-denominational multi-denomin- de- schools. The review group was established by the Archbishop of uh, Dublin, Dermot Martin, and that was following concerns that he said the sacraments risked being turned into a social Occasion. People seem to be more interested in the fact that it was a big day out. It was a party for the family and the extended family and that really it was nothing to do with what it was all meant to be about, a moment of faith. It was all to do with the big social day out. So he decided, let's take a look at this. Let's see if we can jig it around and make it a little bit different. Now, it does seem that we are unique in this country in that we depend on our schools to prepare our children For the celebration of the sacraments. I always thought that all Catholic schools all over the world did it, and it seems no, we are unique. Uh, Parishes are becoming more involved, and there are some efforts now to involve the parents more, but in the survey, all expressed dissatisfaction that it is still largely a school event and that it's still largely. Up to the schools, they're, they're almost themselves, Feel the schools feel they're working in a vacuum. Nothing is coming from the home, nothing is coming from the parents, nothing is coming from the parishes. It's all up to the schools. Schools. So everybody who took part in this survey says, no, something needs to be done. There needs, needs to be more direction from the parents and there needs to be more direction from the uh, parish. All we're saying that passing on the faith is primarily the responsibility of the home with the support of the parish and with the support of the school, but passing on of the faith should not be left to individual teachers. And that seemingly is what is happening here. And I read a really good piece by Carol O'Brien in the Irish Times who was writing about this yesterday in the paper and he says that there's the wider question of whether the sacraments are at risk of becoming exactly what the Archbishop says social party day out rather than a religious event. He said many teachers say they've noticed a deterioration in children's religious knowledge over the years. Some teachers talk of how they end up having to reteach students how to receive communion. And that happens in their confirmation year. And the teachers are of the opinion that the children made their first Holy Communion in second class and now they're in sixth class four years later. And that they haven't been back inside a church since. And they've actually completely forgotten about the whole thing of receiving Holy Communion and that has to be retaught again. And, you know, really, you would have to question the parents. Why are you putting your child forward for confirmation? if that child hasn't been inside the door of a church since they made their Holy Communion some four years uh, previously. And he says one teacher recalled a recent first Holy Communion ceremony where the bemused congregation were unaware of when they were meant to sit, when they were meant to stand, when they were meant to kneel. None of them had a clue. None of the parents had a clue because none of them were regular Mass goers. He said it's clear that many parents are not engaging with church practices though they expect it of their schools. So if the Archbishop of Dublin or the Archdiocese of Dublin should I say ends up reducing or completely removing preparation of the sacraments from the school then you'd have this opt-in system for communion and confirmation. Now what that means is it typically involves uh, a weekly one hour after school class. Now the schools can facilitate it they can, you know, the classroom can be used for it. Are in other countries, what happens is it's the local parish centre will have a room that can be used. But if you want your child to make Holy Communion or Confirmation, then for one hour after school a week, you're going to, have to bring your child to wherever it is and where they will receive the necessary instruction in order to make their first Holy Communion or their Confirmation. Classes are usually taken by a religious teacher, a lay person, or a local priest, but they generally involve a cost to the parent because that person isn't going to be showing up. There will be costs involved in it. So the the parents are going to have to pay for that one hour of religious instru- instruction. And Paul Rowe, who we've spoken with before in the programme, he's the chief executive of the Educate Together uh, schools. And obviously they are all religions and none. And he says in Educate Together, up to 50% of children who attend the school self-identify as Catholic and they attend these faith formation classes and they do it outside of uh, school hours. He said the feedback he's received from members of the clergy is that it's leading to a greater engagement in the parish. And, he, and what's interesting, some of the priests who are dealing with the children, they're coming through the Educate Together system who go to these classes outside of school. The priests are saying there is a stronger faith formation. Whereas at the moment what's happening in the schools, it's taking up so much of the school time and the class time has been taken up, preparing for First Holy Communion, preparing for confirmation. Actually, there's more time spent on religion in those two years than is spent on physical education. And some people say with the obesity crisis that we have in this country, particularly the obesity crisis we have with children, that we need to be looking at that. We need to be doing more physical education. We need to be doing more PE. But the schools will say if you're second class or sixth class, you're doing all of the academic work and you're also preparing the children for the sacraments. So there's very little time left at the end of the day. So that's the question that we are asking uh, today. Our parents have, if you've been recently to a First Holy Communion or a Confirmation, was it all about the social event? Did you feel the essence at all that it was about the, the child and the sacraments and the holy aspect uh, of it was religion at the centre of the day, or is the Archbishop of Dublin right? First Holy Communions confirmations, so they're simply nothing more than a social day out. If you have a view on that, we would love to hear from you.
5: This is the Court Today replay on C103.
4: Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your
5: comment. 1850
4: 103. The state has been accused of trying to renege on its responsibilities to people who were sexually abused as children in schools after it emerged that a government compensation scheme set up four years ago has paid nothing to survivors. The accusation was made by abuse survivor Louise O'Keefe, who joins me. Good morning to you, Louise. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, Now, it was your European Court ruling against the state that led to the setting up of the redress scheme. Why has compensation not been paid? Well,
6: one of the primary facts for them not paying out on the scheme is because of their insistence of each um, survivor who has made an application to have a prior complaint. And they're insisting that that prior complaint must be against the teacher that abused them. Um, And in historical cases, that's almost impossible. First and foremost, because I know myself that I never spoke about it. So a lot of children did not speak about it. One, because they were terrified. Two, because they felt dirty. And three, because they were blackmailed by their abuser, into not telling
4: And it was also a different in, in some cases it was a different era the children wouldn't necessarily oh. have been believed
6: Oh absolutely Oh absolutely um, absolutely I mean you know um, principal of a school a teacher of a school they were held very highly in society at that time um, you know and young young children I mean we were absolutely in, I mean, innocent and you know, innocent in that you know we knew absolutely nothing about sex at that time. So to be sexually abused, we didn't even have the words or the language mm. to tell what had happened to us.
4: So the so the so the the redress board is insisting on this prior complaint clause. Did it, I thought the dolls? Did they not previously vote to remove that?
6: In July of last year, there was a debate in the Dáil and there was a vote passed um, seeking to have the prior complaint removed. But no action has been taken on that by the, go- by the government. And it is extremely difficult. But, I mean, four years ago, when I had a meeting with the de- then Minister for Education, Jan O'Sullivan, when she announced this um, scheme, I told her she was telling... The people who had no prior complaint to go to hell and that's exactly where they have been and still are because of this to, to me a prior complaint was established way back in the early 1940s and we know that from the Ryan report because the Ryan report was able to tell us that there was evidence in the department of education of sexual abuse of young children in our national schools in the early 1940s.
4: Yes. Yeah, so, so, so it's been that, going on, we know for sure it's been going on yeah. uh, since but, then.
6: But, they, but, but my point uh, would be, sorry Patricia, but my point would be that the Department of Education knew then that there was a possibility of sexual abuse of children in any national school in the country. So they should have acted
4: yeah, and they should have been doing something. Is there a feeling, and I don't want to be cynical here, but is there a feeling that by, you know, putting in this prior complaint clause, are the states deliberately trying to make it hard for people to claim?
6: Oh, they're not just making it hard for them to to, to complain and to apply for, for um, the scheme. They're making it impossible for them to do it. Absolutely impossible for them to do it. I mean... What they, what they don't seem to realize is that most of these people already have the abusers convicted. I mean, they've been convicted. And the, abu- the abusers who have applied to these schemes, this scheme, have, have been a witness in the criminal case in those convictions. And yet the state is reneging on the responsibility that was proven in Europe.
4: Do you feel let down by the fact that the government—they're not appearing to be acknowledging the essence of your judgment?
6: Oh, they haven't acknowledged it one iota um, at all, at all, um, and it's—it's it, the essence of the whole thing. Um, they've made it impossible for people to to apply to to the scheme. Um, Anybody, there are 50, there have been 50 applications, 44 of those have been refused, and they say six are in review. But the whole point being that it's the acknowledgement of it. They haven't acknowledged the wrong wrong in not putting something in place, the wrong in not protecting our, our children in the schools and then on top of that, the wrong of not acknowledging and delaying that resp- the acceptance of that responsibility.
4: Would you have met with um, some of these survivors, Louise, whose uh, lives have been destroyed because of the abuse? Oh, absolutely. And you know,
6: everybody differs. We all differ. Some are able to handle it. Some are not able to handle it. Some, some um, are literally stressed out over it. There are many people out there who have never spoken and will never, never apply for this scheme. And for those people who are suffering and continue to suffer in silence, it is equally important that the express scheme works. Because it is an acknowledgement by the government and by our state that they did not put protection in place for children, which meant they were, they were abused.
4: And it's an acknowledgement it for those children who are now adults that they did nothing wrong. It was not their fault oh, what happened. Ab-
6: absolutely. And it is, it, is, it is equally important for those who are prepared to speak and those who haven't spoken you know yeah. we must always remember those who are e- e- who equally suffered in the schools but are silent
4: yeah like, i'm always conscious of that when i'm when i'm speaking with you uh, louise sometimes we will get a call or a text in from somebody uh, who you know you you have triggered something to say you know, I I was one of those children. I've just never been able to talk about it. And and I think because of you being so vocal and, and so public, you have helped a lot of other people because it's important for those people to come out of the shadows, isn't it? They've done nothing wrong. They've nothing to be ashamed oh, of. Oh, absolutely. And I mean,
3: you know,
6: I, I suppose I even look at myself in, in, in this whole scheme because of the fact that when 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 the sexual abuse in the in Dunderland National School came to light, um, back in, and we there was the criminal case. I mean, I was not the first person who came forward and made a complaint to the Gardaí. That was another girl, and only for her, I wouldn't have come forward. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, so I'm well aware of the fact of not speaking and and not 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 talking about this so I suppose I I am I am lucky in the sense that I was given a voice but I was only given that voice by somebody else
4: okay coming forward and you've You've gone on and will continue to uh, give a voice to others I, I feel sure Louise we leave it there thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning Thank you uh, very much Always great to talk to you that is uh, abuse uh, survivor Louise O'Keefe Now yesterday I spoke with the Examiner journalist Noel Baker who outlined the case taken by Cork County Council against Mother Irene Gibson a Carmelite nun over an alleged breach of planning laws near LEP in West Cork A number of people were very upset by the story and wondered what now for the two nuns who live at the Hermit well, Mother Irene, I'm delighted to say it takes time out to talk to us this morning. Good morning to you, Mother Irene. Good morning. Uh, you are welcome. Now I know uh, the the story of the planning has been rehashed and rehashed and rehashed, and uh, so I'm not going to get into it. You know yourself, you made a mistake by not getting the planning, uh, and you now have until Christmas uh, to sort to, to sort it all out. So, but you've, you you'd like to talk to us a little bit about your way of life? Yes, if people wish to hear that. Yeah, please I'm do. Sure they do. Please do. Tell us what is a typical day in the life of Mother Irene.
3: We we rise up at four o'clock in the morning. And um, we, we immediately begin after, you know, we immediately begin to pray the divine office. We do that in the solitude of these little cells or huts as you may have seen them. On the media, I on the newspaper. I'm not sure.
4: I did, yeah. I saw them. Yeah, them.
3: we 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 both. There are only two of us at the moment. There are others wanting to join us, of course. Um, and we we spend much of the day in these little cells. This is a monastic term. It's not a prison. It's it's a monastic term for a room where a nun would live or a monk. And um, we pray the Divine Office there from 4 o'clock or half past 4 until around about 6 o'clock in the morning. Then we would come together and pray together before the Blessed Sacrament in our little oratory. And um, then we, from around about 9 o'clock, we will have a, a small class together, you know, study class together. With um, I would I would give class with uh, with our young sister, and then um, we would do some work. Work would involve maybe tidying the house, like every every household has to do, getting the dinner ready, um, planting vegetables, uh, feeding the chickens, just the usual work around. Or else we we try to earn a living by. Doing painting icons or craft work. You know, making making um, making making sacramentals for for, for to, to sell them. But um, the major
4: I, and the majority of I, I your day also, is sorry. the majority of your day is spent in silence sorry. and prayer. We do not
3: have such a thing as a vow of silence, as the okay. media are telling everyone. All right. There's no such thing in, in religious life as a vow of silence. There is a rule of silence or a custom of silence, and that is a voluntary something that a contemplative order, all contemplative orders have in common. They, they, they a, a young person, man or woman, would join a particular religious order a contemplative enclosed orders specifically because it is a, a silent order to allow them to have communication with God interiorly.
4: And so why do you feel of, why do you feel drawn to this kind of lifestyle, this type of lifestyle?
3: Oh I have been feeling drawn to this since I have been a teenager. And I think when when I was younger I just got a great love for God, our Lord Jesus Christ, and the hunger I felt in my heart to to have a deeper union with him, which I could not find in the distraction of the world. And I wanted so much to give myself to God in, in, in sacrifice and prayer for the salvation of souls. And I felt if I keep on praying for souls and um, offering myself my sufferings every day um, to save souls. I could save souls. It's the same as the little, the story of the soul, the story of the little flower, St. Ray.
4: And if you are forced to leave um, Lep, Mother Irene, where will you go?
3: Uh, God only knows where we shall go. God never closes one door without opening another. Um, perhaps we should emigrate.
4: Sister, but, Am- Sister Anne-Marie uh, is from New Zealand, yeah. isn't she?
3: Yes, yes. There are many people in New Zealand who are encouraging us to go there and if God opens that door, we shall go there.
4: But but would you prefer to stay in Ireland and particularly to stay in Lep?
3: It would be nice to be able to stay in, in the area of Cork, indeed, but it's whatever God wills for us because maybe all this whole... That has blown up. It's just God's way of writing straight with crooked lines, as we can see. It is. It's just you know. It happens in everyone's life. We Does. think it's a disaster, and then the next thing we say, "If this hadn't just happened, maybe I wouldn't be here." Yeah,
4: yeah, you're, you're 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 so right. And are you, by the way, are you under the diocese of Cork and Ross? Are you under the control of the bishop?
3: No, no, we are not. because we are we are following traditional Catholicism as it was before Vatican II.
4: The Tridentine Mass and... Yes, yeah. And, yeah. The, and the local right.
3: ordinary do not like that. Okay. They follow modern, modern New Mass.
4: Okay. All right, we'll keep a close eye on this on this story. I'm, I'm way over time um, uh, because I have to go to news. But listen, it was a pleasure to talk to you. We'll keep in contact with you, okay? And uh, look after yourself. Very God nice. bless. Bye bye, Mother Irene Gibson. They are joining us from uh, LEP and John Paul tells me as well she doesn't have electricity, and the battery was going to go on her uh, her phone, so we didn't have very long with her.
2: You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
4: There's a couple of events actually. They both relate. They're both uh, to do with the Bieltona uh, Festival. I want to give a mention to. I get backed up with people sending emails and texts in asking me to mention things, and I do my best. And I apologise if I don't get around to all of them. We just get so many of them. But Kathleen sent in a lovely WhatsApp this morning asking me to mention the annual Festival. Variety concert that's happening this Friday in Castle Magno Community Centre at eight o'clock. The concert will showcase talent from all over the Duhalla region and it includes music, solo singing, there'll be choral recitals, there'll be recitations, there'll be dancing, and lots more. It's a fantastic night of entertainment. It's guaranteed not to be missed, says our Kathleen. And admission is 10 euro, where with a special guest. Not saying who the special guest is, but there will be a special guest on the light and right, right, light refreshments will be served. That sounds like a lovely night out this Friday night Castle Magna uh, Community Centre. And then I got a lovely, lovely email in from Catherine telling me all about Katie Holly's play called... Crossroads. And Katie Holly's play is going to be performed at 10 libraries across Cork from the 21st of May, so from next week through to the 28th of May all part of the Beelzena Festival, which is an Age and Opportunity Arts Initiative celebrating the arts and creativity as we uh, age. And the play has been commissioned by Cork County Council. It's going to begin its tour in Clonakilty at 11am in the morning on Tuesday, the 21st of May. It'll then go to... Skibberine Library for a performance at half two that day Wednesday following day that's the 22nd it'll be in McCroom and Carrigaline Thursday it goes to Bantry and Dunmanway Friday it's going to be in Mallow and in Charleville, and it will finish on Tuesday the 28th by paying a visit to the library in Middleton and in Vermoy. And I imagine there will be a great turnout in Charleville because young Katie Holly is a playwright from Charleville that is gaining a lot of attention. Actually, we only spoke about her on the programme a couple of weeks ago when I was chatting with one of our favourite actors and comedians on the programme, uh, John Kenny of Unbelievable fame. Uh, John... Joined us to talk about the play Crowman that he's presently touring the country with. And Crowman, I asked him who'd written Crowman, and he said, Very talented young playwright by the name of Katie Holly from Charitable. So that's how Katie first came on my ra- radar. And anyone that's gone along to see Crowman performed by John Kenney, it's a, a one man show, will know what a great, great writer Katie Holly is. And she is a name. And a playwright we are going to be seeing and hearing a lot more about into the future. So you have an opportunity to see catch this very special play commissioned by Cork County Council. Well done to Cork County Council for commissioning it part of the Bealtaine. Check it out in your libraries from the 21st of May through to the 29th. 1850-333-103. Some calls in, some traffic ones first. The listener in the wing Moornabi area was on. Asking motorists to please be aware of heavy agricultural machinery on the roads this week, especially agri machinery crossing the main Cork to Mallow Road in the Mornabi Grena area. Please be careful. We're into that season of agricultural big agricultural vehicles out on our roads and we're also coming into you know summer time and people taking time out and people going to visit areas that they don't roads that they don't normally know people going down into very scenic rural uh, areas you don't know what's coming up around the bend so please drive with extreme care and thank you to the listener uh, who sent that in to get me to, uh, to to give it a mention and then somebody else was on earlier today that there's roadworks on the N71 at Ross long delays and you kind of got a sense from the text that somebody who is stuck in the long delays, feeling very, very frustrated. And it's the delays between Roscarbury and Lep, and that is due to the road work. So be prepared. If you have to travel that road, you can prepare for it because uh, you, you know those road works. We were only talking about them on the programme uh, last week. And actually talking of Lep, Lep was where we spoke with Sister Irene, Mother Irene, in the last hour. That's where her hermitage currently is. Don't think it's going to be there for much longer because she's selling off all of her wooden uh, structures and you get the sense that she's going to move on. But a uh, great sense of peace about it, wasn't there, listening to her? You know, she just sees that it's God's will. Maybe this is God's way of doing it, even though she, she was brought before the courts but she just very much sees it as a God's will. I was, I was reading stuff, some stuff online about the hermitage and watching some of the videos online yesterday. And I, I have a feeling they are going to be New Zealand bound. I mean, the young nun that's joined her, Sister Anne-Marie, is from New Zealand and they obviously have a following in New Zealand and a support base in New Zealand through Sister Anne-Marie's family, an extended family and friends. So I have a sneaky feeling. Um, lips, loss, will be New Zealand's gain and a lot of people are still very saddened to think that they will be leaving. Paddy and Skibarine was on. He says, I want to wish Mother Irene the very, very best. I met her several times while shopping in Skibarine. I hope everything turns out all right for her. Will you ever let her know and tell her I will be praying for her? She prayed for me while I was uh, sick. And the amount of people that have met at some stage and paths have crossed with Mother Irene, I think a lot to do with the fact that she... Th- hitchhikes and thumbs lifts she doesn't have any transport herself because Noel Baker the journalist yesterday said he a number of years ago picked her up he was he saw her on the road thumb hitching a lift and you don't often see many people hitching lifts now but that's the way Sister Irene and, and Mother Irene and Sister Anne-Marie get around is by hitchhiking so they, their paths have crossed with a lot of people and then Jean Paul also says there was a few calls in from people to say those Carmelite nuns <laughs> just, uh, were selling homemade recovery for head coals etc uh, herbal is it like herbal remedies I'm assuming they were selling them in Skibbereen. I I presume they were made of the compound so I don't know what the connotation of that particular call they obviously make remedies because they grow a lot of their own veg and herbs and that so they obviously they do old remedies that are probably long since uh, gone a lot of those remedies work as well I can tell you that actually it was interesting when Mother Irene mentioned that they paint religious icons. I saw a video last night of them painting some of these The they're, they're the old icons of um, Our Lady that you will see I mean they brought me back to Belarus straight away because I actually brought back some religious icons when I was in Belarus because very much a Russian, those Russian icons and those Russian pictures that you will see of Our Lady and they hand paint them and they're just magnificent with the gold painting behind they really are quite stunning and you could order them there was a piece online they had kind of a mail order service but they were warning people that if they wanted to get one of the if you wanted one of these particular icons it could take you know you'd have to wait about two to three months because they take quite some time so they are industrious I, I will give them that and they seem to do bits I mean they have to they have to make money somehow I suppose they grow a lot of their own veg but I'm assuming through the selling of those religious icons, and as somebody says there, the, the the rescue remedies, are the head cold and colds and flu remedies, that's obviously how they make some money. I mean, I don't know if they sell their veg uh, as well. Maybe they sell it at some of the farmer's markets. I don't know. eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Anyway, there's nothing but goodwill, I have to say, towards Mother Irene and uh, Sister Anne-Marie, which is which is uh, terrific. Marion in Glenmire Glan- was listening to uh, Louise O'Keefe talking about the compensation that hasn't been paid out following that redress board being set up for people who were sexually abused while in primary school. She listened with interest to Louise and she said hearing about the struggles for proper water quality in some areas of the country and the fact that we need better roads and then we have the farmers securing a 100 million euro deal. This is for the Beef Farmer sector from the EU and from the state Uh, where is the rest where is the money for the rest of us so Marion feels all the money is going into the farmers and that's why others are losing out Michael in Carrigaline says it sounds like the state is trying to stop paying out these payments even after these teachers were found guilty the state seems to be trying to find loopholes that's exactly what Louise is saying and Billy in Bandon said it took years and years and years for many people to make a complaint against a teacher. The teachers went to court and many of those teachers ended up in jail when they were found guilty. Are the government trying to say, because no previous complaint was made, that the teachers should not go to jail? Is that what the state is trying to say? To say Once a teacher is in jail, it means the court found him or her guilty so the state should pay up. No, they're not saying anything about the actual case themselves. What they have said to claimants, which is almost impossible, the claimants were told that in order to get compensation from this board they have to prove that the teacher that abused them or the school employee that abused them there had to have been a prior complaint of sexual abuse made against that particular individual and that as Louise pointed out is impossible because of the time we're talking about and the fear factor and I mean as Louise herself said she would never have come forward only she heard somebody else talking about her abuser and in many cases that's that's what happens but it's impossible to pinpoint when exactly an individual teacher when the abuse uh, started and uh, it, I would straight away say well what about the first child was abused he, he, by going on that that there had to be a prior complaint you're basically saying well we'll forget the first that was abused and anyone thereafter is entitled to compensation that just that doesn't sit with me that is just not right. Can I say on teachers but this time teachers good teachers that are out there and the teachers that are teaching the sacraments I mentioned uh, earlier and I looked for your thoughts on this um, something that the Dublin the, the, the diocese in Dublin is looking into this and and you can be guaranteed if this starts in Dublin if it comes in in Dublin it will go out around the rest of the country whereby they are looking at the sacraments First Holy Communion and Confirmation and they're asking the question should the preparation for the sacraments should more of that be done at home and should more of that be done in the parish and take it out of the classroom that it isn't up it shouldn't be up to the teachers to fully prepare a child for First Holy Communion for confirmation that the role should be more in the hands of the parents and that the parish should get involved as well and have this opt-out scheme which is done in the multi-denominational churches where they don't teach one religion or schools where they don't teach any, any religion uh, where if you want your son or daughter to make holy communion confirmation, you have to go to special classes that are organised outside of school and you, generally speaking, have to pay for it. And the Archbishop, Archdiocese of Dublin are looking at that now and looking at saying, we'll stop doing all, all the preparation. They'll probably do some of the preparation, but the majority of the preparation will be done out of school times, you know, an hour a week where the, ch- the child will have to go to a special class between three and four on a Friday or whatever they come up with. Um, now, there's a number of people are on about the teachers themselves that are teaching the pupils. So the second class in the case of First Holy Communion and the sixth class teacher in the case of confirmation. I know some confirmations are done in fifth as well but generally speaking they're in sixth. Marie was on to us to say a particular school that she knows of that shall remain nameless. A pupil received his uh, communion. His mother is a teacher in that same school but the child had never seen the inside of the church from the day of the baptism until the day of the first Holy Communion. How did the students prepare for communion when one of the teachers wasn't even able to bring her own child uh, to class or doesn't go to Mass herself. Now I don't know if you teach in a Catholic school, do you have to be a practising Catholic? Is that I can't see that being part of the interview uh, process. Jared uh, says, what about the teachers? How many teachers, go oh, it's the same point, how many teachers go to Mass every Sunday? I don't see many young teachers heading into Mass every single Sunday morning. But could the same not be said about the parents? And this is the point that the diocese in Dublin is trying to make it's not just they're not just pointing the finger at the teacher can the same not be said of the parents who are not bringing their children to mass the blame can't all lie at the hands of the teacher you can't say my son or daughter isn't getting you know proper religious instruction because the teacher doesn't go to mass when the parents themselves aren't going to mass uh, either Morris says morning uh, Trish my niece my niece's little girl is making her first Holy Communion on Saturday now she has received the mother of the little girl has received a text message it's a text message from some of the other moms saying would you be up for a night out on the Saturday night of the week after to celebrate the first Holy Communion my niece's answer was sorry I'm busy uh, where will this rubbish end says says Maura so the parents the mums in that case want a little bit of a night out Hi Patricia with regards to communion and confirmation it's the teacher who are paid to teach and the parents are meant to back this up but now we have modern teachers without an iota of religion themselves and so-called modern parents likewise it's not cool to do religion so God help the children the majority of parents and teachers are now this is this text is, are dopes <laughs> that's not my language can I say And there is nothing in their heads they're all airheads the children now are showpieces for certain occasions modern parents don't want any advice I've said it before and I'll say it again God help those poor kids I pity them says this particular uh, texter but the point is if they are modern parents and they're not practising religion why are they still insisting that their children receive the sacraments that's the argument that's always put forth and Mary Buckley says OMG when she heard about the schools stopping preparing children for Holy Communion and Confirmation what next I'm going to my special needs grandson's Dunica's First Holy Communion on the 25th of May in the Holy Family School in Charleville and I can't wait as I never thought we would ever get to see this day thanks to all in the school and that's where Marcia my little girl went to school as well. Bring your tissues with you Mary is all I'll say. The First Holy Communion Mass for the Holy Family School is a really really special occasion is really and very very emotional to so have the tissues with you and enjoy Morris was on to us by text to say well done to Minister Michael Creed for securing the 100 million euro aid package for beef farmers badly needed fair play to him says uh, Morris and just stay on farming for a second because I I'd have to do some research because I don't know much of the background to this, but maybe somebody else would like to add more to this. But a West Cork farmer is what the, is how the what text is signed. It says, Patricia, uh, I, f- I would like to ask whatever happened with the money that was collected from farmers all over the country to take the government to the European Court of Justice over the cutbacks to land eligibility? Where is this money? Nothing has ever been done or heard since it was collected. It's now five or six years later, and we've a new round of cap will be coming in soon. Has the whole thing been a fruitless exercise? I would like to, I would like to find out from the people that sat at the top table, uh, what. Collecting that money, what has happened to it? And I'd like to find out how much exactly was collected. Where is all the money? And also another question: If and when will it be refunded? And that's signed a West Cork farmer who contributed. Now I'll have to do the memories. I can't. I don't know exactly. What campaign this was? Let me do some research on that. But if anybody else wants to throw their tuppence, safety worth in on that particular story, we'd love to hear from you. Eighteen fifty three 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 one o three. John Paul takes your calls, text or WhatsApp. Eight six two. 103. 103.
2: The latest jobs on C103. Official media partner of the Irish Examiner Cork City Marathon, Sunday, June 2nd. Get working now to run the full, half, or relay. More details at c103.ie.
4: Various caretakers and admin positions are available in the Whitechurch and Innescara areas. Uh, Experienced welder is wanted for a workshop that's in the Mallow area, while a tyre fitter is wanted for Mallow Town. And finally, the Haystack restaurant, the farm in Grena. They're looking for a chef and a cook. It's for daytime hours. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. C103
2: presents the Mallow Garden Festival one of Ireland's largest home and garden festivals there's over 200 exhibitors 25 incredible show gardens, free seminars meet Charlie Wilkins and Peter Dowdall and browse through 5 million plants on display, visit the Vintage Car Show and Artisan Food Expo and there's a free bus service from Mallow train station each day, the Mallow Garden Festival, Cork Racecourse May 24th, 25th and 26th it's too big to miss with C103.
4: We continue this morning to preview the upcoming local elections and today we focus on the Bandon Kinsale electoral area with Bandon Opinion editor Eddie Goggin. Good morning to you Eddie. Good morning Patricia. And, and you're welcome. Okay, can you start by outlining the changes that have been made this time round that is actually affecting where some candidates will run?
7: Yes, um, well uh, quite a few new areas have been added to the electoral area, Ballin and Bandon uh Belly courtmacsherry Courtney Cool Butlerstown area, <clears throat> in in Shannon, Kilbritton, uh, Morais. So there's quite a sizeable area added to the Bandik and Seal electoral area and the areas that have left are and transferred to Carrigaline are places like uh Temple Breedy, Les Cleary, Kilpatrick, Dundera, Belly Garvin, you know, not not as many. <clears throat> has been added so is
4: the population base state roughly the same because it's the same number of seats? The
7: population has gone up by about three thousand since two thousand and fourteen. Uh, the population of the electoral area is approximately okay. thirty-seven thousand two hundred sixty-eight. Right. But, but
4: uh, no, but no extra <clears throat> seats.
7: It's still, it's still six seats. Which still succeeds and yeah. 13 candidates.
4: Okay. So, uh, whereas the last time round, it was 11 candidates for six. So we've got more candidates, 13, 13 uh, for four, six. Okay. Yeah. Um, talk me through. Um, oh, no, firstly, um, are many of those candidates sitting councillors? Well, see, there are
7: major changes to 2014 because of, of those that were elected in 2014, um, only two remain. And in the case of Alan Coleman, uh, who stood for Fianna Fáil five years ago, he is now uh, standing as a non-party candidate. Mm. Now, Kevin Murphy is the one constant for Finnegale, but the person that uh, headed the poll last time out was Rachel McCarthy, with two thousand two hundred forty-four votes. Now, she has decided not to stand on this occasion.
4: Was that a surprise?
7: It isn't really, because, to be honest with you, you know... Um, she has she, she and James O'Donovan as well Finnegale both of them have opted out this time and I'm not surprised with the uh, abuse that that they have receiving in relation to housing and footpaths and the likes of them they couldn't come into the town of uh, without getting abused at times you know it's
4: a and, tough I, job and I know
7: they told me that personally
4: it's a tough job
7: it's difficult for what you get out of it and and, and, and you know if you have a, a young family um uh, you have to commit yourself to it, and and you know, um, you get you get a lot more abuse than you get praise. You know, um, then you had Tim Lombard who's now a senator, and he's not in the constitu in the electoral area. Margaret Murphy yes. has been elected at TD, yes. and James O'Donovan is not running, as I say. But um, instead of Margaret Murphy you had Gillian Cochrane, who co co-opted during the year or during the past. Oh God! A few years now, and she's played a part as a Fianna Fail um, member of the of the electoral area. So
4: this is her first time, but
7: it's her first time contesting. Going for
4: this, yeah, yeah. It's
7: Alan Coleman's first time going for election as a non-party candidate.
4: Will it make a difference to him?
7: Uh, he could lose out a few votes, definitely. But he has built up a good base over the years. Is is the a solid performer in Cork County Council. Um, now, Kevin Murphy is another predicament. Kevin Murphy, uh, at, the, at, at the selection process, Kevin Murphy was elected with two others, uh, George Seaman in Bandland and John O'Sullivan in Barry Row. And there was a good even spread between the three areas and, and the three candidates. But they then added Marie O'Sullivan. So that has put uh, the cat among the pigeons in relation to Kevin Murphy's candidature.
4: Because she's from Kinsale.
7: He is, and the two of them will be, will be looking for votes from the same area, really, you know. Now, John O'Sullivan would be the person that is most um, discommoded, I for like, because he was in the West Cork-Skibreen area, and as a result of the boundary changes, he is now in the Bandon-Kinsale area, which basically is foreign territory for John. But having said it, he has that area out on Barry Rowe, courtback Sherry, Timmy League, all to himself.
4: There's, um, yeah, there's he, no one else running from that knows, area, so he and he easy, he well. has worked hard.
7: Well, John has been a very uh, hard worker and a farmer himself, and and has um and and has been a very good grafter at, uh, uh, since he since he was coopted onto the Cork um, County Council. But Maria Sullivan would be no political novice either, even though it's her first. Um, uh, time running for County Council. Her father was the famous Dinéon O'Sullivan, who served in the second party government uh, of John Costado. And she's a businesswoman in Kinsale. She runs Salvi's Restaurant. And um, she has she has held a lot of political posts in the Fine Gael organisation. So she's no novice.
4: And, she, and she's well-known locally.
7: Absolutely. And in Bandon, Gerard Seaman would be very well-known uh, for Fine Gael again. Um, he is uh, a member of the well-known Otto family, uh, Dan Seaman, and he would be well-known in the Bandon area and and very popular and he too is, is going to uh, claim a good few votes in Bandon
4: and then fi- between between Fine Gael and Fina Fall, there's seven candidates I mean it will all go down to good vote management it will yeah and they've always been good at that in yeah, West Cork have,
7: yeah. Fine Gael are very good vote management in particular yeah. but here again like um, they, Dermot uh, Dermot Benin and Gillian Cochton were the two candidates selected at the Fina Fall convention and they added um, they added Sean O'Donovan afterwards now, Sean is going to be, um, Sean is in the Bendon area, uh, Gillian is in the Bendon area. Now, Dermot would have the Clannock Kilty area to himself in ways, but whilst Dermot wouldn't be very well known he's uh, a teacher in the community college, he's, he's very passionate about politics, and he's um, he, he's, he's uh, good experience with both the management and the Calgary bench of the STI and he has strong feelings on, on broadband and mobile reception, things like that. Uh, Gillian has served there, so Gillian, I'd say, would be the front-runner for Fianna Fáil definitely. And it's really, then I'd say, between Dermot and Sean O'Donoghue. Sean also, a uh, self-employed businessman in Bannon, has been a big community activist inside this town in relation to different <clears throat> um initiatives from the Joint Policing Committee and uh, Civil Defence and, and the Music Festival, you know. but So the, they are the, the main runners. Like, last time out you had three Fine Gael, you had two finefall and you had one Sinn Féin uh, candidate selected. I think Sinn Féin will definitely lose uh, this, Be, the,
4: this is a Noel, Noel, Harrington, Noel Harrington former
7: town councillor He is, he is, and popular young man in Kinsale and a very, very great activist in Fairness to him. but you must remember that Rachel McCarthy's vote the last time out was a huge personal vote She
4: topped the poll
7: She topped the poll and she totally surprised the main parties, they couldn't believe it but she was very popular uh, she had very much involved in there's like Kilmax Freeman rowing club and, the likes of that, and she built up um, they put in a huge canvas for her and um, as I said that's not going to happen in this occasion.
4: Okay and in the interest of fairness there it, what, which of the other candidates have we not mentioned?
7: Um, there, there are four new faces in that category. You have um, uh, oh, Cormac Hayes is standing as an independent um that's vital to know about comic he because he doesn't even have an online presence or I don't think he's doing posters or, or anything. He came bottom of the poll in 2014. So I suppose his run is a, a triumph for four of experience, you know. Um, Pat O'Regan is another independent. He's originally from Trilly. He lives in Belgoole. Now, that guy has, has played a fairly active role in the community. You don't know Belgoole. He's in the Belgoole Residents Association. He's chair of Clanteed Community Alert and he's on the Bilgooley National School Board of Management as well. <clears throat> and He's also involved in the Ladies Club, so he should garner in a few votes in that area. Um, Dr. Gordon Reid is the Green Party candidate. He's a retired senior lecturer at UCC. He's Scottish-born, um, married to a Romanian, so he's vehemently anti-Brexit and he's been active in very many environmental issues against the Ring's Skiddy Incinerator And um, the plans about Irish cement to burn hazardous waste at this plant down in County Limerick. The last candidate would be Maria Rouen. She's there too two. Now, they, as a party.
4: Well, they're a new party. Nobody, new nobody party. knows how they're going to do. Sorry? Nobody knows how they're going to perform.
7: Um, they could bring in some seats, but I wouldn't think they're going to have a major impact on the election, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, uh, that like the party has only been formed. After of a few months, now, having said that, uh, looking at their candidates here and in West Cork uh, area, like they have good candidates mm. and they have candidates that have like Marie Roone has worked on creative and educational community programs for prisoners and the homeless and teenage parents
4: they, they have candidates who have profile.
7: You uh, have hit the nail on the head. Yeah. That's exactly and,
4: really, and I know, as I've been talking with some of the other journalists this week, the one thing about the local elections that is different, I think, from any of the other elections, a lot of it is down to personality, personality votes. Absolutely. Yeah.
7: Absolutely. And um, as I say, they could bring in some uh, Sinn Féin that votes. They have a, a strong policy on United you know, Ireland as well, you know, uh, into, and, and, uh, they could bring in some votes from from that direction, but you know. Um, having said that, I would be very slow to think that uh, she'd make it on this on this occasion.
4: So what? So what way are you calling it? Are you, are you calling it between Finnafall, Finnegale, and a, and and maybe one non-party?
7: I would say three Finnegale, two Gael, and most probably one non-party, but. The non party would be Alan Coleman, but he could be fighting hard for the last seat with Fionnghail and Fionnpholg candidates.
4: Okay, only only time will tell. And the count, where's the count for West Cork? It will
7: be in Yeah. Okay. All with, right. With West Cork, uh.
4: okay. And, and any, then there's two other constituencies now, isn't there, for West Cork? There this is, yeah. If any,
7: if, if 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 any of your listeners want a profile on on on, any, on all the candidates in West Cork, we did a we did a big profile in the current issue of the Opinion magazine
4: Yeah, it's excellent which, excellent.
7: Is, which, is, which covered Bandon Kinsale West cork area and Kinsale-Bantry area at the time we're going to press there were a few new candidates kind of edits since but okay. not too many
4: well done, well done Eddie listen thank you for that enjoyed our chat Thanks, uh, for, thanks for, for joining us uh, bye bye, bye. that is uh, Eddie Goggin who is the editor of the Bandon Opinion casting his eye over the Bandon Kinsale electoral area
5: This summer, thousands of people will love this feeling. You can experience it too. C103 invites you to run the Irish Examiner Cork City Marathon. Sunday, June 2nd. Whatever your fitness, whatever your goal, whatever your reason, we want you to hit the streets. Hit the streets. Team or go solo in the half or full marathon. Register now at corkcitymarathon.ie. Corkcitymarathon.ie. The Irish Examiner Cork City Marathon, Sunday,
4: June second, with C103. We are going to Mallow uh, Guard the Station, where I'm joined by Sergeant uh, Tony Crona for this week's uh, Guard the File. Uh, good morning to you, Tony. Good morning, uh, Tony. And, and you're welcome. Now, you've got three burglaries in the area that you're looking for help with.
8: Yes, uh, Patricia. The first burglary uh, occurred on the 9th of May last, which is last Thursday. This was a daytime burglary, and it occurred in Thurstown, um, just in the outskirts of the village, in a dwelling house. Uh, a daytime burglary where culprits got. The back of the property into the house and uh, they spent a bit of time in the house and a lot of items, well, some personal items were taken from the house. Um, Sentimental value. These items um, would be on sale in the future and they'll be offered for sale. So we'll be looking for people that uh, would be offered items like jewellery, etc. know so if people call to you and they have items for sale, you might contact your local garden station. Again, it was last uh, Thursday the 9th of May and it was daytime in Churchstone Village so maybe you saw someone acting suspicious or you saw a car parked up outside a, a property and people walking in and out it was just off the um, the, the village of Churchstone and there was a, a separate entrance for this uh, property so again we'd be appealing to anyone who saw anyone acting suspicious in the Churchstone area last Thursday any time during the day or if there was any vehicle in the vicinity that was parked up and uh act, acting suspicious. If you can remember anything at all, the Gardaí, uh would be delighted to get a call, either in Charleville or in Mallow. Okay. Uh the next burglary we have is um it occurred in Farn in Charleville, which would be just off the, the N twenty in Belly Hay. It occurred on the sixth of May last which would be last Monday uh, night week. And it was a, a nighttime burglary. Uh, where people uh, got access to a property, a uh, dwelling house and a shed. Now, we believe no items were taken from this burglary. But again, they were there for a considerable period of time. And maybe you saw some car or persons acting suspicious uh, in a suspicious manner. And we're talking again from 6pm in the evening to 8pm. There was a two-hour window here and a silver mass that was seen in the vicinity of Farn. And uh, this car was not um, known locally. So we again would be asking anyone that saw this car or the occupants or anyone at all that was acting in a suspicious manner, please contact your local um, guard station. And at least it would help with the inquiry, and we could either uh, they assist or we could take them out of the investigation. Our third burglary then um, uh, was uh, in in Churchtown as well, and this was on the of May last last Thursday, and this was in a two-hour period, sometime between half 11 a.m. and 1.30 p.m. And uh, entry was gained uh, by the back door again. And uh, the persons were in the property for maybe 20 minutes' uh, time frame uh, within this two-hour period. And again, it was a two-hour period, so possibly there was people in the facility watching people, you know, leaving, uh, exiting their houses, and seeing was there any car left at the house. So maybe you were in this area of Egmont and Churchtown and you saw a character in Suspicious or People or you may have heard something, seen something. Please contact the Gardaí again uh, in relation to this.
4: Um, uh, and even the smallest piece of information, it could just be the bit that that, that you're missing.
8: The smallest uh, little bit and it could help to solve maybe two or three different um, burglaries because as you can see there now, we have uh, one in Hay and we have uh, two in Churchtown. Any bit of information that you can think of.
4: Pass it, on. Uh, the
8: Description of a person or persons, be it male, female, age bracket or a type or a colour of car or right number. Any bit of information would be of great assistance.
4: Okay. And a ca- the, you've got a report of a car theft?
8: Uh, a theft from a car, yes. Oh, theft um, from a car, sorry. So, yes, we had a, a, a theft from a car. And that was, um, that was on the 2nd of May, which would actually be this day, fortnight. And this was with, uh, why we were really anxious with this was this was a half an hour period in the Ballynor area of Charleville, which is uh, Ballynor would be out a back road out in Ballyhay. And we're talking from 5 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. So there's, uh, a person left their car uh, for, to check um, property and came back and found that the window uh, broken and um, items taken from the car.
4: Okay.
8: So again, it only um, it, it takes seconds, doesn't it, to break into yeah, a car and force it? It, it. it was an opportunist crime, so again, we're just appealing. To anyone. It's a rural area. Just maybe you saw people just uh, checking houses or parked up at outside fields, uh, where there's gates, uh, looking around to see is there any any anyone you know watching anything like that. So again, if you could just think back, I know it's a far ago, but uh, it was a half-hour period maybe you saw something on that that particular day any time from 4 o'clock to 6pm
4: okay, in the in
8: Ballynorn area. And okay. if, if we have time, Patricia, we okay. just want to mention, if possible, there's a couple of upcoming events uh, if we could notify the public. Um, there's a, a match in Limerick next Sunday so traffic in, in Charlville will be quite busy so you may have an alternative or just there may be delays for 10 minutes maybe but um, Gardie will be on duty and we will be attending to see him. Also, the, the Garden Festival is on the 24th, Friday 24th, Saturday 25th, and Sunday 26th of May. And we expect heavy traffic on the Mallet to Clarny Road near the racecourse and also at Hannah well, Roundabout. Again, the Garda will be on duty. And just to notify the public that on the N20, there are cables being laid between Mallet and New Tupac House. Traffic is restricted to one lane northbound from the hospital junction towards Costell but traffic is flowing uh, 24-7 Well, it's, to, it's
4: down to one lane. OK, yeah. and before we let you go, somebody says, well, you, while you have Sergeant Tony Cronin on the line, could you please ask him, can you get penalty points for not having your driver's licence with you if you're asked for it at a checkpoint?
8: It's in the process of um, uh, updating um, penalty points for more offences. So the, um, it is looked at to have those updated.
4: Because at the moment it's discretionary isn't it and I know Shane Ross wants that removed, the discretion yeah, yeah. of the guardee to allow motorists presented at a the at a station.
8: Yes, well yeah. you are obliged by law to, to have your uh, licence with you. There's two separate offences. One is that you don't have it with you and one is that you fail to produce it within 10 days. So there's actually two separate offences. So uh, there are extra points uh, coming on board uh, for different offences and that is one of them that is muted at the moment.
4: Okay, it's it's not in yet. Okay, yeah. all right, but have it with you is, is your message, isn't it? It's, it's yes. You should, you you know, should uh, always have.
8: Yes, people do have different uh, work vehicles, etc. And uh, we would be asking just to carry it with you in your wallet or whatever If it's hand-baked, whatever you have, just carry it with you. Have
4: it with you at all times. Okay. All right, Tony, listen, we appreciate that. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, Good morning to you. That is Sergeant Tony Cronin out of uh, Mallow Guard the Station joining us for this week's Guard the File. And actually, uh, I I don't know why the listeners are asking that particular question because I remember before Christmas, we had a a lot of debate on the programme when it was first mentioned. It was coming up to the introduction of the Clancy. Amendment when we heard the chain ross wanted to bring in the drivers would be hit with automatic penalty points and an 80 euro fine if they were pulled over at a checkpoint or for any reason they were pulled over and they didn't have the driving licence to hand and the amount of people that gave examples of how they couldn't have their driver's licence with them at all times was incredible. Anyway it is a law that's still been spoken about. It is going to be brought in. It isn't in yet. At the moment it's up to the guard They have the discretion to say if you don't have your licence with you they can say to you bring it into your local guard station which generally generally speaking, uh, is what, what has been happening to date. Okay, we need to take a break. We have news at 12 midday on the way. We will be going live to Tel Aviv to preview tonight's second semi-final of the Eurovision Song Contest. We also are looking for your pet questions please, because our resident vet, Jane, will be joining us in studio. 1850 103. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103
5: 103. C 103 Anthems.
2: Three anthems
5: magic, it it man i feel like a woman the biggest songs of all time c103 anthems love is in the air everywhere i look around songs that continue to inspire generations Susanna. Susanna. Susanna.
2: Weekday mornings from nine and evenings at seven.
5: This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique, and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. Work. c 103
2: you are listening to Cork today on
4: replay phone and text lines are currently closed we've been talking about the elections on the program the listener who contacted us from Mill Street about posters that were up outside the cemetery in Mill Street and she thought it was a little bit disrespectful and then when we mentioned it, somebody removed one of them she was back on to say there's still one of those posters still in place and she counted 22 posters from the graveyard to the church um, and is still upset about the one that's outside the graveyard she feels it's very disrespectful and she says by the way to, and she's, she, ha- she never everybody really hasn't named any of the candidates which is fine she said the other candidate who removed it after we highlighted the disrespect of having it outside the graveyard she would like to point out that candidate that they left the cable ties behind on the poles, so they could come back and get the cable ties please. James in West Cork on the local election says Patricia election candidates jump on bandwagons. Where Where is the politician that promised the people he would chain himself to County Hall until every last one got planning for their house in rural West Cork My son has been refused planning I don't see anybody chained to County Hall I don't know what politician you're talking about anyway James it does not believe that all candidates deliver on promises that they make and planning somebody else in on planning as well saying it's nearly impossible to get planning now County councillors have too much power uh, I think you're giving them too much power I don't, I've never heard of County councillors having that much power when it comes to planning I think County councillors would love to have power when it comes to planning in order to get planning for some of their constituents it's one of their biggest bugbears uh, as well. Also someone was on to say oh this is um the farmers and the announcement from Michael Creed about the 100 million euro that's going to be given to the beef uh, sector. Liam and Bandon being a bit cynical about it all said, isn't it amazing? A week before the election, the offer of money for beef farmers. Why not bring out the forms in advance so everybody can find out what the T's and C's and the small print is about. Is it a loan arrangement? How will it work? I want more information, says Liam in uh, Bandon. And someone else says on the Minister of Agriculture, Michael Creed, it's a pity he won't stick up for fishermen and Castletown Bear like Spain And no quotas for Irish boats, it is a a disgrace says a texter. And when we spoke about driving licence and something that's not in yet but will be coming in, the idea that if you're stopped by a member from Gardaí Shea Corner and they ask you by law, you're always meant to have your driving licence with you under new proposals and under new laws that are not in yet, you will be hit with an automat- automatic penalty points and an 80 euro fine if you're pulled over and do not have your driver's licence with you. And says, Hi Patricia, sometimes I forget my handbag when I pop into the car and drive somewhere. And sometimes my handbag can be in the boot. If you're on a busy road or street, am I going to be penalised if I can't produce my driving licence? Kind regards, says Anne. Well, if it's in the boot, you're just going to say to the member from Godshear Corner, regardless of how busy the street is, let me go to the boot and I'll get my handbag out and that has my driver's licence. If you've forgotten your handbag, then you're going to have a bit of a problem on your hand because this is going to be automatic. The changes, when they're introduced, will remove discretion from Gardaí. At the moment, Gardaí have the discretion to allow motorists to present their licence at a Garda station if they're stopped without it. But Shane Ross, Minister for Transport, wants to remove that discretion so it will be automatic. So, yes, the scenario you're painting of you at home, Deciding that you need to pop to the shops without a milk and you hop into the car and you don't have your handbag with you because you just have the couple of euro in your hand to get the milk and then you get stopped by the guard, they show us your licence, please Miss Anne and Miss Anne doesn't have her handbag with her with the licence. It's automatic. You, they will have no choice and they will not have the, the, the discretion so you will pick up penalty points in that scenario and an 80 euro fine. It, we will all be, for us ladies that carry the licence around in our handbags, in our purses, in our wallets. We'll have to just remember to bring them everywhere with us it'll be the same for all motorists 1850 333103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County
2: Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit CorkCoco.ie
4: Table quiz in aid of Helena Ryan goes ahead in Albert Lynch's tonight 8 o'clock lots of spot prizes and a fun night Kildare Community Lotto that's on in Walch's Bar tonight While the Department of Rural and Community Development are hosting an information session with community groups on successful applications for grant funding James O'Keefe Institute in it kicks off at 7 this evening The Cork Yarn Spinners They will host Francis Kennedy from Kerry tonight in the Crawford Centre on Anglesey Street in Cork. The spinners meet on the third Thursday of every month. A Middleton Arts Festival, that begins tomorrow Friday with a special country market from 9am in Market Green. Great events will be run all weekend. You can find out more at middletonartsfestival.com. And a new parent and toddler group opened in Kilavulland Community Hall called... Called Jolly Tots. They meet every Friday between 2 and 4 in the afternoon for a chat, a cuppa and playtime. Children over six months are €3 Euro each to attend. Christine, has more details, 086 028 3373.
5: Cork today on C103. Call
4: Patricia with your comment.
5: 1850 333 103. Tonight
4: is semi-final number two in this year's Eurovision Song Contest with Sarah McTiernan flying the flag for Ireland with this song disappeared. Sorry I thought it was on screen. No it's not there. That's okay. Uh, anyway uh, our man in Tel Aviv is LA based TV producer Dave Cargill uh, who uh, once again joins me on the programme and I don't know if that's a bad omen or not Good good, good, good afternoon to you Dave <laughs> Let's hope it's not a bad Oh God speaker. I hope How it's not. You? I hope it's not I'm, do- I'm doing very well um, uh, Thank you. And I've just realised it's here. One sec
9: But let's get to change i with somebody, I'm confusing him with you <laughs>
4: goes on and on. In a similar vein like that, that's Sarah McTiernan and uh, her song uh, Simply Entitled uh, 22. She's a good singer. Uh, Dave, I just don't think it's strong enough. What do you think?
0: You know, it's a very, very difficult semi-final just because there are five songs here that could win Eurovision. And she's also in a semi-final, interestingly enough, where m- nearly every country is singing in English. Sometimes there are entries that come from countries in their own language and very much a a local taste that probably won't qualify, but the standard is high. Britishish has also been given the second spot to sing, so she's second on, which is notoriously difficult to try to qualify from. So there are a couple of omens, I'm afraid, making it very difficult uh, for a qualification. But I I still think it's it's 50-50. She's very much in the borderline.
4: OK, well, we wish her all the best of luck. OK, semi-final number one. Uh, I was on Tuesday night. It went off without a hitch. Well, that's from us watching it at home on the TV. Uh, Were you impressed with the production on Tuesday night?
0: I was impressed with the production, but I wasn't so impressed with the quality of the songs. That's a weaker semi-final. Um there were some songs that had qualified that I can't help but think had Sarah been in the first semi-final, she would have had a better chance for sure. And the production here, I think, is very strong in Tel Aviv. The the team that they're using, they definitely have expertise from other countries, but they're using an awful lot of of really of their own uh, personnel and creative and collaborative people that produced some terrific postcards and they're also bringing back quite a lot, lot of previous winners. Dana International, who won it in Birmingham back in 1998, she appeared and we've got a couple of other surprises tonight that I won't give away of previous performers.
4: Um, and then the songs, what, what stood out for you on the ones that qualified or was there any that didn't qualify that should have qualified?
0: You know, I think in that first semi-final, Australia, Australia, um, we have the most incredible, you could say, homage to the the theatre production Frozen, the the musical Frozen, even the movie Frozen, uh, because of the way the performance from Australia is set up. Kate Miller-Heidke is her name. She's singing the song Zero Gravity, and literally she's on these very large poles, and you, you really would be very impressed with the production. She's able still to sing, but literally she's strapped to a very high pole, and CGI is around her, and it looks like she's in space, and she's literally flying like a character. She has an operatic voice, and I think that actually could, could definitely be in the top three, but that was my favourite from semi-final one.
4: Any of the others? Anything? I liked the Belarusian one, actually. That was a nice little pop song. Won't win, but it's a nice little pop song.
0: Yeah, I agree as well, and she's done very well. She won junior Eurovision, the Belarusian girl. Her name is Dina, Um, and she's brought this experience to the stage from such a young age, and she's young herself. She's only 16, and she's infectious, and she had a very good dance routine, so that, that was also super. I think quite a few people were surprised that Hungary didn't qualify because that singer has already performed before and achieved a top 10 spot. So that was definitely a a surprise. And Darud of Finland, he he reached the Irish top 10, actually, back in the 90s with a big hit. Uh, And we thought that his kind of club anthem feel Would work well, but unfortunately, he didn't qualify. So there's there's two more surprises.
4: Okay, so it will be a bit of a dogfight tonight then, as to what ten will will go through. But you are you still reckoning that the winning song is probably in tonight's semi final?
0: There's a good chance of that. Yes, we we have uh, Sergey Lazarev entered the Eurovision in 2016 for Russia. He finished third, and he's in it tonight didn't have a, a very strong gospel singer, John Ludwig, and I think he'll do very, very well. Uh, and then the bookie's favourite is uh, Duncan Lawrence, who's singing for the Netherlands. It's a song called Arcade. It's very haunting. He sits at a piano for the entire performance. So it's very simple, but for a lot of these performances, there's lots of distractions. There's an awful lot going on. So actually... This piano performance, Patricia, is is, is actually quite, a, just, it, it, it's a nice change, it really is, and I think he could do very well.
4: Okay, we, we will keep a lookout uh, for that. What's security like around the event, Dave? Is it tight?
0: Yes, it's very tight. There's security, even to get on a train. If you're going into a train station, if you're going even into uh, a shopping centre, uh, every bag is checked, all the buses are, are being checked methodically. Um, once you come off the train station and you look to get into the press area, there are two different types of security that you'll go through. So we're certainly in a country that's used to intense security, but it's definitely been ramped up another another level here, Patricia.
4: I was reading yesterday that there's not as many overseas visitors as in previous years. Are you seeing a noticeable d- decrease in foreign fans?
0: Yes. Um, first of all, the cost. Uh, Tel Aviv is very expensive as it is, even in May, um, because the temperatures are in the 80s and there's beautiful beaches and the hotels you know, are three, four and five stars. So this caters for holidaymakers all year round. But you're talking about if you wanted to sh- stay at one of these hotels, let's say a mid-sized hotel, you're talking about hundred and fifty euros a night. It's very expensive. People have are really been scared off by the prices and also the security and, you know, what's going on with, with Israel and, uh, you know, in politics right now. There's lots of factors.
4: OK, and then the other question, is Madonna definitely the Interval Act on Saturday night? There was reports in some of our papers that she still hasn't signed the contract yet.
0: You know, that's what we've heard. Uh, it's certainly, and um, the, the, the yesterday's dress rehearsal for semi-final number two. One of the presenters mentions Madonna, so that's the closest that we've all come to actually hearing that she's definitely going to be here. Uh, we're not sure about whether her contract is signed. Some people say it isn't. Some people say it is. But literally last night, one of the presenters mentioned uh, mentioned her name. So I think you'll hear that tonight. And that's probably the closest that we've got to our confirmation. We hear she's going to sing two songs and uh, Like a Prayer could be one of them and then her one of her new songs.
4: Of course, she'll sing one of her new songs to an audience like that. Why Why wouldn't she? OK, and <laughs> as I mentioned in the introduction, you are, you are an LA-based TV producer. How is the Eurovision received in America? Does not have a big fan base?
0: Oh, unfortunately, no, it doesn't. Um, There are already quite a lot of singing competitions, but I I do find out there in Los Angeles, if America is not participating in anything, then they're generally just not interested. Um, And they've tried to broadcast it, but it really hasn't worked. So I think for the American public to engage with the Eurovision, they would really need to participate, and I certainly don't see that coming. They enjoy music. There are plenty of Americans actually here who are on the stage, who sing or who are backing singers or involved in a choreographed piece or perhaps some of the, uh, the, the dressing and the wardrobe and the presentation. So the Americans are here, but yes, America is a country I don't think, think we'll be seeing them at Eurovision.
4: <laughs> we would have said that about Australia a few years ago as well, Dave. Listen, enjoy, <laughs> uh, enjoy the, uh, the rest of the week and thanks a million uh, for joining us on the programme. Thank you, Patricia. Uh, bye-bye. Take care. Thank that you. is Dave uh, Cargill uh, joining us live from Tel Aviv and obviously there was a delay on uh, the phone uh, but uh, uh, Dave, taking a look at the second uh, semi-final and we do wish the very, very best of luck to young uh, Sarah McTiernan. Uh, Sarah Tiernan? Tiernan. Uh, we know that she will do us proud tonight. And by the way, we had a call in from a listener in Ad- Adrigal to say that there were somebody working on behalf of AIR who are cutting trees in the Ad goal uh, area. Now when landowners ask for the trees not to be cut down then the contractors are saying fine, they won't, won't cut it down but there were other trees being cut down. One listener is appalled with all the talk about biodiversity that this is being uh, allowed. She did ask the air workers and they say that the trees were interfering with the wires and had to be trimmed back. We are in the process of contacting air to find out what's going on with tree cutting in the Adrigole area. 1850 Can you, if you've got a pet question, uh, please, can you get it into us because uh, our resident vet Jane is going to be joining us on the programme after the break or you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. and somebody listening to me chatting with Dave uh Cargill, obviously originally from Scotland but now living in LA where he is an LA based TV producer saying is Dave the voice of Donkey in Shrek? He's got a great voice doesn't he? He really has a a terrific voice and the answer is no.
5: This is the Cork Today replay on C103 For C103 photos, videos and more, follow us on Instagram and get a good look at what's going on across Cork. Search Instagram for at C103 Cork Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your
4: comment. O eight six two one oh three one oh three. 103 And uh, Jane Pickett from the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group joins me live in studio. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Hi there. And you're very welcome. OK, and we will go straight into questions. Get your questions in, please, either by phone to John Paul or you can text straight into me here at the studio to O eight six two one oh three one oh three. Jer 103 103. Ger in was on about a Cavalier King Charles 11 years of age, male, never neutered, but is a pure house dog, is how Gerard describes him. Once or twice in the last number of months, he's just lying there. His left paw paw, seizes. He holds it up and it starts shaking a little bit. Then it transfers to the back legs and and he loses control and then falls down on the ground. This then goes to the right paw and then he drops to the ground and he stays there for five minutes. Then he'll get up again, but will be very slow for about 10 minutes afterwards. Then he'll be out of sorts for about three to four hours. I don't know what it is, but it's loss of control in all of his legs. And it happens within about three minutes. Sounds like some kind of a seizure, doesn't it?
1: Mm, It does. Um, So I think we all classically think of a seizure or a fit in people, we imagine these people lying on the floor and lots of jerking movements of the limbs and Mm -hmm. loss of control and loss of consciousness. And certainly in dogs and cats, it can prevent very similarly a seizure. okay? Okay. But sometimes it's a little bit different. And that's what I think might be going on with this little dog here. Now, obviously, without seeing or examining this lovely little ca- cavalier, you can't say from certain. But from the pattern of what the owner has described to us, we can sometimes get what are called focal seizures. So it's not all of the body involved it's a little bit of the body. Now, one really common way it presents in dogs and cats is actually on the face. So lots of twitching on the face. So lots of these funny little movements, little twitches. But sometimes it can present very similar to how our caller has talked about. Um, Almost like raising a leg and holding it up and a little bit of a shaking and maybe transferring to other limbs or then, let's say, progressing a little bit further and he loses control and falls down. Now, I think the really interesting bit of what our caller has said here is that the signs don't disappear all of a sudden. Yeah. So he's a little bit off form for a good 10 minutes, he's not right. And then for several hours afterwards, he's just sorts. out of sorts. Yeah. That would really point me towards it could possibly be a seizure, as I say, without examining and having a good chat about the other factors and the history involved. It's impossible to say. But I would say in this case, that that's what I'd be feeling. So I would say a visit to your vet for a full examination and a, an examination of the nerves and the brain um and possibly some further investigations. And is it possible
4: warranted. for a dog to have epilepsy in the way we it's see epilepsy in adults? Very much so. Yeah. Very very controllable much
1: so. then? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Now every single dog with fits or epilepsy is is very different. Now, sometimes it can be for no reason at all and, and that that would be most common in younger to middle aged dogs. Now, unfortunately, in our older dogs, sometimes it can be associated with something more sinister, like a lump or a bump inside inside in the brain. And that's mm. a bit of a, a bit of a different problem. But certainly with dogs and cats that have seizures um, that have started for no reason at all, it can be very controllable with medication. Um, and But you have to work very closely with your vet to get to yeah, get. The
4: I, right. I remember a sister of mine many years ago, one of her dogs had a seizure rushed it to the vet big Mm. panic and never had another (laughs) seizure again Mm. it just the vet said well monitor see what's going on here Mm -hmm. and they did various tests and it was one of those things it was was a young dog at the time but it never happened again Mm -hmm. you know and sometimes
1: that's the way it goes I think the one most valuable thing I could say if if you're kind of noticing you might have seen some funny turns in your pets at home and you're worried whether this is the case the temptation is always to go to your pet to help them out. Now, as long as they're in a safe place, i.e. not in the middle of a road or in a gangway, somewhere they need to be moved from. If they're somewhere in the house or outside in the yard, the single most valuable thing you can do to help them out with diagnosis to see if it's a problem is resist the temptation to go and help them out. Mm. Take a video on your phone. Okay. That is the single most valuable thing you That's can bring to your pet. That's the great thing vet. about the phones, you can bring it yeah. in. It's, it's a little yeah. bit
4: like when when if, when a human... As yeah. a seizure, you know. I mean, you don't put the old-fashioned thing of putting something into their mouth. You don't do anything like exactly. that. You just make sure they're comfortable make and sure nothing's going to fall on top of them. Exactly. Okay. And uh, says, "Hi, Jane. I have a dog with red feet at the moment. It looks like it's itchy, a little bit crusty. What could it be? Mm-hmm. Any suggestions, please? I'm assuming it's the pads. Well,
1: if it's the pads, it's well, it could be two things. If it's the pads that are red, then that's a bit of a problem, certainly. Now, usually, when we get problems with the pads themselves, because they're so robust, they're meant to stand up to the daily wear and tear of being on the floor. It would be rare." To to get problems with them now we do sometimes see if there's been let's say an irritant or a chemical burn or they've stepped in something unusual it can sometimes cause a really big problem with irritation and inflammation of the pads so if it is the pads themselves that are involved I would go straight to your vet. <laughs> okay. Now, it's a little bit of a different story if it's the, the spaces between the toes, which is an awful lot more common and I assume is probably the case here. Um, If they're kind of a little bit scabby, a little bit red, certainly in white dogs as well, we sometimes get saliva staining so the white hair will turn a little bit of a brownish colour sometimes. That's a kind of a hallmark of itching and scratching and licking at the paws. Now, if it's just the pause, sometimes the most common thing is whether it's been in contact with something funny or whether it has an allergy to something that started all of a sudden. So it's the time of year where we begin to see a lot of seasonal allergies because a lot of the plants and flora are coming into into kind of sprout and into flower and there's pollen. lots of pollen flying yeah. around. Very much like humans. And sometimes it can be one weird little plant that your dog or cat is allergic to. And for the duration of that plant's flowering season you can get right itchy problems. Now it can be very difficult to identify. But the That would certainly be top of my list. I suppose the basics as well, you'd have to cover and make sure that your dog is up to date with their flea mite lice treatment. So if you haven't already, visit your vet for a spot on just to rule that out. Because sometimes we can get mites that live in in between the toes, but normally they happen in the autumn. And there's very interesting little ones that we see every now and again called uh, harvest mites they love to live in between the toes and they're picked up from being outside in the grass and they, they create have a, itch they itch. create a massive yeah. itch and they're they're kind of a, an orangey yellow colour so it wouldn't be the right time of the year for those but certainly the normal fleas and mites could cause problems as well so I think make sure your basic kind of parasite prevention is done otherwise a visit to your vet just to make sure that there's no sinister problem if there's scabs there might be a little bit of an infection so I think get them to have a good look make sure your pet is comfortable because we all know if you have an itch or a scratch somewhere you just get no peace from whatsoever and my heart goes out to these little
4: pets I that know, are itching it's, it's, and scratching. It's so dreadful and it is is dreadful. Yeah. OK, advice please from Jane. My daughter is moving home. She's been living in Dublin for the last five years. She's bringing her cat with her. It's a city cat where we live in a very rural area. Advice please on how to settle the cat in. It okay. is neutered.
1: First and foremost I would not rush the settling in process if that cat is a city cat and I assume it's probably been used to being inside for most of its time then although maybe not if it's been living in the suburbs either way if you have a cat moving house I would keep it inside in the home for a good few weeks I really would make sure it doesn't have any access to the outdoors it needs to learn that that's its new home before it ventures anywhere else it needs to learn that that's where its family lives that's where the food comes from that's where he needs to be before he has any access to the outdoors and gets a little bit lost. OK. Now, as ridiculous and all as it may sound, um, if you have a cat that's a real pet and he's not used to being outside, the easiest way to introduce him to going outside after that settling in period of a few weeks at least is to get a little cat harness, which I know sounds hilarious, but taking your cat for With a a five-year-old cat? Yeah. yeah. If he's been inside his whole life, if he's been yeah. living in the city, then the outside world would be this big scary thing to okay. him. OK. Will he get so, used to a harness, then? it would only be for the first week or so so all I'd mean would be just because if he has been an indoor cat for his entire life and if he's never seen the outside world if he's been if he's let's say been living in the centre of a city it's unlikely he'd be pottering around the the streets as it were Mm. um and it is useful even in cats that have had access to the outdoors if they're going to a totally new area. Um, You can get these little cat harnesses and I would just take them out to the garden, let them have a sniff around. Like Cats won't walk on a lead like a dog will so you kind of have to follow where okay. they go. Right. But then you know that at least they're not going to run off and get scared if a funny noise happens. But it lets them get their bearings just for five minutes or so every day um, and then gently leave them off and watch. But fully supervise him for kind of periods of five to ten minutes every so often and bring him back inside so he knows that the home is his base and he's not really meant to stray too far from that now over time he'll learn his territory he'll venture a little bit further and that's only natural okay. um, cats will be cats and they need to have entertainment but you just need to for him to be very aware of that's where his base is, that's where his home is so he doesn't wander off.
4: Oh, and, and it is, I'm conscious that he's uh, the city slicker moving, yeah. moving to the countryside. <laughs> there could very well be feral cats in there the area.
1: Be. There could be and sometimes that can cause problems. Introduction of a new cat into any area, if there is feral cats or neighbouring cats around, can cause some aggro. Normally they kind of sort it out between themselves. Okay. If any cat fights, just make sure nobody's injured but it does happen. Um, I think another thing for this cat that might be really helpful is microchip him if he's not already microchipped okay. now people don't it's not in fashion to microchip cats that often certainly in, in this area locally or in our own experience but it is a very good thing to do if we ever get and a stray cat and in. absolutely yeah. in this situation absolutely in this yeah. situation because if he does god forbid go missing somebody will scan him and the chip will pop up and they'll be able to return him to you nice and nice and swiftly um, whereas if he doesn't have a chip unfortunately lots of lots of cats go stray and wandering and they don't make it home.
4: Mm.
1: How long do you think it'll take for this, the settling in period? Oh, and keeping indoors, I'd say at least two or three weeks. A okay. uh, Gentle introduction to outside another week or two.
4: Because you know those bizarre stories you hear about cats going many, many miles back mm. to their original... Is that true or is that all urban myth? It's very I'm true. I'm not saying that it'll go from Cork to Dublin. Yeah. That was, <laughs> but you, would you, would you, yeah, you we, we will read in the papers the stories where they'll go many, many miles. They really, really will. And they're incredibly
1: clever. I think they, the interesting thing is Uh, let's say a healthy neutered male cat will travel miles and miles overnight if he's out hunting and we have no perception of this they just go out into the night go out and have their fun and they may be going all over the place so their territory is sometimes a lot bigger than we imagine so if that territory overlaps with where they may have previously lived let's say you've moved 10 miles down the road it's quite possible that they might find the edge of their old territory and go oh hang on this is where I used to live and they'll go back to the old place
4: isn't that strange? Is,
1: yeah. And do do- is, that, is that something particular to cats? Usually with cats. Um, dogs aren't as good at roaming, to be totally they honest. Not? Certainly they, they like to stay near home a lot of the time, unless they have a specific pattern of places they go to. They're. they're Yeah, definitely more attached to home. They don't tend to roam as much. They don't have that dry kind of to to hunt as much as a cat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But
4: the but the same advice that you gave for a cat would sit for a dog as well. Yeah, they need to get used to their area, don't they? They really
1: do. I suppose with dogs it's a lot easier. They're usually used to walking on leads. So I'd say lots of lead walks around the area. Don't take them to anywhere you wouldn't want them to stray to. So with my own dogs, I wouldn't take them near the big main road. I don't want them to even realize it exists. So I wouldn't take them walking down there.
4: Okay, but I think the best piece of advice is the microchip. if if it does wander off or it's a fright or whatever and it's picked up by a local vet you'll be able to get it straight back uh, mm-hmm. to your house uh, Jane as always thank you for that have a lovely no week problem. and we'll chat again next uh, Thursday that's Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group that's where I leave you for today my thanks to John Paul McNamara for uh, producing once again the very best of luck uh, to uh, Sarah McTiernan who flies the flag for Ireland in the Eurovision tonight we'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 Nick Richards is with you uh, after the news
2: Rod Stewart is ready to rock cork on May 25th,
5: and C103 is celebrating with a massive cash giveaway.
2: Win 3,000 euro with the Rod Stewart 3K triple play. Stay listening for these three songs. Song
5: one, song two. Song 3.
2: When we play them, uninterrupted and in that order, be caller 103
5: to win €3,000. Remember
2: our number, 1850-333-103. The
5: Rod Stewart 3K Triple Play. Only
2: on C103.